following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. All right, so we've come to our reading from the Gospel of John, Chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Continuing in the reading uh, in John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son, who is close to the father's heart, who has made him known. I want to start out here by asking you a question. I always love to get your input in the chat here in Zoom. And uh, I, I know from looking at it later in the week that you have your own little conversation over on Facebook too, and I endorse that. I just can't see it right now, so I can't... Um, I can't check out what that is going, what's going on there, but I can see in Zoom. And so I want you to put in, uh, in the Zoom chat uh, your favorite slang word from your childhood. Now, we do have children in the group, so let's keep it PG. Uh, but what was your favorite slang word from childhood? And uh, if you need a more specific prompt, maybe you can just think about this. Uh, how did people say something was cool when you were in sixth grade? <laughs> right. So for me, I continue to use the word rad uh, to mean cool, even though that hasn't actually been rad or cool since 1986. Um, okay, I, I, <laughs> look, my lovely wife has put rad in the, in the chat. That's great. That's what we were meant for each other. Um, law, groovy, wicked awesome. Wow, I'm the one from Maine. I don't know where you get wicked awesome from, Scott. Uh, I see another vote for rad. That's great. Maybe I'm radder than I thought. Um, <laughs> Groovy, cool beans, the bomb. Okay, <laughs> there's a lot of coolness here. Uh, I didn't see a keen yet. I was hoping we might see a keen from the uh, 1950s set, but um, gnarly, that's a good one too, yeah. Um, <clears throat> wow, <laughs> I've never gotten such a fast and uh, difficult to follow response. Um, from the chat, but that's really fun. There's lots of fun words in there. Um, I would like also to share the fun story that I recently said in the presence of my children that a song, quote, slaps, and they told me that I was never to say that again. 
<laughs> but the song slapped. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, um, words do carry meaning, and sometimes we have, um, as as a culture, we adopt these words to mean something temporarily. <laughs> like um, in 1986, if I if someone had said a song slaps, that would have meant nothing to me. Now, because I'm um, barely uh, barely connected to pop culture, I do know what that means. Right? The word radical or gnarly did not mean cool until it did, and then it doesn't mean it anymore uh, once it stopped meaning that. Right? Um, <laughs> I do see gag me with a spoon in the in the chat, which is a great bit of slang that um, if you if you plopped it down into first century Palestine or anywhere in their Greco-Roman culture, probably would not communicate very well. Right. Um, <clears throat> but these these words kind of bubble up into our into our cultural imagination and, and our shared vocabulary. And then sometimes they they bubble down. Right. Um, and the reason that I say that is because there are some words like that in the Bible, right? And we do ourselves um, a great service when we spend a little bit of time trying to figure out whether that might be what's happening with certain words in the Bible. And today, uh, in this magnificent passage of Scripture, which is one of my favorites in the entirety of Scripture, um, we have two words that are really important to to understand what they mean, and one of them does have a um, a cultural connection that probably doesn't apply to us anymore. And so I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about these two words uh, with you today. And the first word is word, right? Um, which, by the way, could be a slang term for us today, now that I think about it. Uh, but John's gospel begins by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, what John is doing in this prologue to his gospel is setting up Jesus uh, as particularly important, right, to put it mildly. So he's saying that Jesus is the word that was in the beginning with God, and the word was God. So if the word is Jesus, and Jesus is the word, um, what part of speech is Jesus? <laughs> is Jesus a noun or um, a contraction? Is Jesus um, a verb? Is Jesus an intransitive verb? Whatever, whatever that is. Right? Now, that's not obviously what's happening here. Uh, when John says that the word, that Jesus was the word, it's not um, referring to uh, grammar, right? Word in Greek is um, the word logos. Um, my captions might get it better. Auto-generated auto captions might get it better if I said logos because it's spelled that way. L-O-G-O-S. Logos is the Greek word for word. Um, <clears throat> but it means much more than that. In uh, ancient Greek philosophy, the word logos uh, took on a much deeper meaning. And um, so it you, you might see some English words that we get from it, obviously logo, but also logic. And so the logos in, in uh, the Greco-Roman world is the great logic of the world. It's the mind of the gods. It's, um, you kind of think about how some people use the word universe today, right? Which I think started as a joke from uh, Tobias on Arrested Development. <laughs> um, the universe wants me to be an actor. Right? You remember that line? 
Um, but we still we say it maybe half jokingly, and sometimes I think people who have kind of a vague, uh, undefined spirituality might speak of the universe um, kind of not maybe unironically as this uh, vast, unknowable, uh, all present, all inclusive uh, presence in the world, right? Uh, and there's actually a lot of parallels between that usage of the word universe for us today and how ancient people thought about word, logos. Right? Um, so the logos was this all-powerful, all, all all-inclusive presence in the universe that, that yet was still um, very distant and removed, right? unknowable, if you will. And it's that meaning of the word word that John is calling out when he writes the prologue to his gospel and says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. For us, we, we see the word, and we don't make that immediate connection, but for John's original reading, readers, I believe they all would have made that that exact connection, right? Oh, and here I'm trying to resist the temptation, but I'm going to be unable to do so, <laughs> to take just a brief rabbit trail about how we in the church use the word word. When we say word in the church, we usually mean the Bible, which is um, very important to our life together as people of Christian faith, but which is not something that we should worship because the Bible is not the word. The Bible is the words of God in some sense that I think is very important for us. But the true word of God, the final word of God is Jesus. Uh, so later in the prologue, John says that the word became flesh and lived among us and that we have seen his glory. And so here we find our second key word for today, which is flesh. Now, I admit, um, I know, this is one of those words that might kind of give you the willies, right? Like, and just be glad that I didn't ask you to put the, uh, in the chat, the, the slang terms or the, or the normal words from English that make you kind of feel creeped out, right? Because then we have a bunch of people typing in words that are not like bad in any sense, but they all make us go, ooh, right? I think flesh might be one of those words. And so it's maybe unfortunate that it's used in this way. But here, let me try to just unpack this for you. Because flesh doesn't exactly mean the things that we might define it as skin or fat or meat. I mean, it does mean all those things, I guess. But the crucial point here is that the all-powerful being who brought the universe into being, the, the God who is very being, the awe-inspiring, unsurpassable, unimaginable, unobtainable, untouchable force of all life, the great logic of the universe... The word, in the Greek mind, that word took on a body. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. As Eugene Peterson says, moved into the neighborhood. And that means so much. It means so many different things. It, it means the word becoming flesh means that people could and did touch God. It means that God became intimately identified with us humans, and it means that we humans 
became capable of identifying with God. It means that people had and still have the perfect example of what it means to be a human who walks in God's ways. It means that bodies matter, that they are holy and good, that they're worthy of great glory rather than the deep shame that we heap on them every day for more reasons than we care to count. It means that God became susceptible to pain and to hatred, that God was then subject to injustice in the human world, that God could and did experience the evil that gets embedded into religious and political power structures. It means that God was ultimately able to experience death and therefore resurrection. I could preach for a whole year on what it means for the word to become flesh. I think the whole gospel, all of God's good news for the world is right there in those two words. I don't have the luxury of preaching on it for a whole year, let alone um, the rest of the morning. So let me leave you with this encouragement. I've been reminding you for a little while now that the church celebrates the season of Christmas after Christmas Day, right? And opposite how the rest of the world does it. So today is the the last Sunday in the season of Christmas. And starting next week, we are going to move on to the season of Epiphany and the season after Epiphany. And the church begins to think about what it means for Christ to be revealed to the world. So on this last Sunday of Christmas, may you know in your bones deep in the sacred body that connects you with the incarnate God, that Christ is here. That even today, 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus, we still know and cherish the benefits of the fact that God took on a human body. May you be filled with the knowledge and love of the Word who took on flesh. And may your own life become an embodiment of God's presence in the world, at home, at school, on Zoom, at work, in your car, at the gas station, in the store. May God be incarnated, embodied in you and through you, so that the light and love of Christ will shine wherever you go. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.